one third of the companies that are in the S&P 500 are still in a bear market. So even though the top level index is back to all time highs, it's largely driven by relatively few companies. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. As the S&P hits all-time highs, it may be shocking for some investors to learn that one-third of the index remains in negative territory. The recent recovery has been driven by relatively few companies, and cautious optimism remains the order of the day. In today's episode, Kevin Prince, Chris Heeks, and Chris McKaney offer several ideas to wait out the uncertainty while continuing to earn income for your clients. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to the BMO ETFs podcast on your preferred podcast player and sharing it with your friends and colleagues. Hello, this is Kevin Prince from BMO Exchange Traded Funds. And we're going to give you another weekly update in regards towards the market to give you some insights from the portfolio manager's desk at BMO ETFs. Joining me today is Chris Heeks and Chris McKaney. So appreciate you guys joining me one more time to really give us some insights in the overall market, what you're seeing out there. I got a number of questions in from uh, different team members. So we're going to use those as the backdrop of conversation today, as well as we're going to invite questions at the end of the session here to really ask the PMs directly yourself. And today's theme will be a bit about, about more on income. We're certainly hearing a lot more conversations up there around demands for income and maybe financial planning and using tools to help hit those goals out there. But let's, before we go into the income ideas, let's take some time and let's take a look at the reflection of this last week because there's been a lot of news this last week and let's digest a little bit and get your get the uh, the PM's views of what's going on in the marketplace. And, you know, just a quick summary. Of course, we all know the news. The S&P 500, of course, we saw it hit the new time high yesterday. That's an interesting thing. We've certainly seen the investors being nervous about the increase in the COVID cases out there. And, of course, the uh, the rising China-U.S. trade tensions. Then layer on top of that, of course, the whole U.S. election and the stimulus and how it's working its way through the Congress and the, and the, and the Senate out there. So all of those things are going on as a backdrop. Very busy week. Let me reach out to both uh, Chris McCain, you guys play with those first, and, and get kind of your high-level views on the market going forward. Sure, Kevin, and uh, maybe I'll just start with a couple of comments, and Chris Heeks can, can chime in as well. Um, you know, as you mentioned, S&P 500 back to all-time highs, sort of pre-COVID levels. Um, and so, you know, that's sort of a headline indication to people that the markets are doing fine. Um, really what's happening is an, um, in, an increase in the sort of a bifurcation in this market. So what, what we're having here is a, certain companies doing very well, um, and this is more of a secular trend. So the digitization of everything, let's call it, um, has already been a secular trend, and it was already um, you know, playing out slowly in front of us. And uh, what's happened is the, the, the lockdown quarantines and, and the like uh, are really just accelerating that. And so that that secular story is really playing out. And the, the companies that are involved in that are, are doing extremely well. 
Um, and then you have the other side of the market and the other side of the economy where things have not really healed yet. Um, things have not rebounded uh, to pre-COVID levels. And in fact, uh, uh, you know, one third of the companies that are in the S&P 500 are still in a bear market. So even though the, the, the top level index is back to all-time highs, it's largely driven by relatively few companies. And we know the names of the top companies, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, uh, Facebook, and, and a couple others. So you really have four or five stocks driving that increase back to all-time highs. And you have a lot of stocks that are actually still, you know, well below where they were. You know, you strip out those four companies, the S&P 500 is still down 8% this year. Um, and so you do have this potential with continued high unemployment, you know, 10 million plus people in the U.S. potentially unemployed for a significant period of time. Um, and so that kind of tells you that outside of this secular story that's playing out where a few of these companies are doing very well, um, you really have to be careful to where else you're investing and ensure that you're getting what, what, uh, what you think you're getting when you're buying either an index or an active fund or, or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, and we've talked a lot about tilting to high quality companies that are able to ride out a prolonged uh, slowdown, which is still, uh, we think, um, you know, potential uh, in terms of playing out over the next year or so. Thanks, uh, Chris. Maybe I'll add on to that as well, Kevin. I mean, I, I, I think, uh, you know, I'm very much, you know, agree with, with what uh, with McKinney there. I mean, you, you talk about the bifurcation in the market. Just look at, you know, the returns of the headline indexes this year. Like NASDAQ is up 25%. You know, the Dow is down 3%. So it's a 28% performance swing. And, you know, I haven't, I haven't looked at any returns, but, I you know, I'd, I'd hazard to guess that's a, probably as a, big as a kind of a year-to-date spread we've seen, you know, in, in recent history. Um, really shows you that it, you know, it's a certain segment of the market that's really outperforming. It's not the broad market. And I think it's definitely a positive that we're getting S&P 500 to a new high. But I think we have to differentiate between, you know, kind of a V-shaped recovery when it comes to the market and a V-shaped recovery when it comes to the economy. You know, one of them looks like it's kind of in inning eight. You know, the other one I think is inning like two, three. It's still kind of early in this game and there's a lot of rebuilding that has to do um, post-COVID. So, you know, tying it into your theme of the theme of income, you know, the idea of getting paid while you wait for recovery, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities out there. There's a lot of opportunities for other sectors to recover, and there's a lot of opportunities to generate income and, and kind of do that, get that, you know, getting paid while you wait for the recovery type of trade. Well, let's talk about getting paid while you wait. We'll dive into detail on that. So, what I did, and we've been doing this for some time, we quite often take a look at all the ETFs with inside our BMO ETF roadmap, and we take a look at, you know, all the ETFs paying more more than 5%. And actually, there's a number of them still out there, and back to your point, uh, parts of the market haven't been fully uh, engaged yet, and um, we're certainly seeing good income sources across the board. So then it's a matter of, you know, matching the financial planning need up together with the tools that are out there to put that income together. So we're going to list off a few, but I'll start off with say we're not going to have press in today's discussion. We're going to save it for our later day discussion. So while ZPR is at 6% and ZUP is at 5.7%, we're going to park those today and give a little more time to focus on some of the more the equity uh, aspects of marketplace. And, you know, we'll kind of break this into kind of sections. I want to start off with a little bit around dividends because that's 
certainly the natural place people look at for income in the marketplace is dividend paying, uh, you know, sectors. And in our case, of course, ETFs. Uh, two of the ETFs jump out, of course, ZDV for Canada, current yield of 5.4%, and ZDI or ZDH, international dividends, the current yield of 5.5%. You know, he's going to give me some thoughts on, um, you know, dividends in this space, right? And, you know, domestic and international dividends. And, of course, you know, layer into that, too, that, you know, since March 23, there has been a recovery, but it hasn't been the same level of recovery as you just mentioned with the S&P 500. So what does that mean for us on a go-forward base with the thought process of maybe allocating towards dividend-paying companies? Uh, yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, just as a bit of background, you know, we've we've uh, we've put out this piece called you know five ETFs over five percent yield. You know, just as a bit of background, you know, I think we first put out that piece maybe about a year ago, and you know, we had we had quite a few ETFs over five percent. Certainly, our cover calls, uh, the dividends. You know, maybe the international was over five percent, um, but there are a plethora of options. When we reran and reproduced that report, you know, in the last couple of weeks, um, certainly a plethora of options. So. Yeah, dividends are certainly one of those. That's, that's over 5%. Um, you know, but, but the way I think about dividends is, you know, they've underperformed this year, certainly. You know, there's always this connection between dividends and value, you know, because you tend to have a little bit of a, they tend to have a similar factor exposure there. You know, dividend, you know, companies with high dividend yields tend to have high yields because the prices are a little bit depressed. So you have this connection between dividends and value, and value has had, you know, you know, value has had a poor start to the year. There's, there's just no, no way around that. So the way I look at dividends is, you know, this is a recovery play. You know, this is, um, you know, whether it's Canada or international, these are, these are exposures that have underperformed and have the potential to outperform, you know, as we really do navigate this recovery. And again, I differentiate between the recovery and the S&P and the actual economic recovery that's going to take much longer. So, you know, I think it's interesting, you know, and, and just, you know, to take a small tangent on value, you know, we launched value ETFs um, a couple of years ago. Honestly, we haven't done too much, but we've seen the U.S. value actually come to life and seen more investor interest, you know, as of the last kind of couple of weeks to try and uh, to play recovery. So I think dividends is a similar way, you know, there as well, where this is going to be a recovery play and certainly the income levels are very, very attractive. Um, you know, at, at these current levels. You know, looking at Canada just a little bit in, in depth, you know, Canada is a very interesting market. And you, you know, you talk about bifurcation in markets, you know, it's kind of a trifurcation, I might say, because you've got two factors in Canada that are really driving a lot of the returns. One's Shopify and the IT sector. Shopify obviously became the largest stock in the TSX this year. Um, it's up, I believe, 100% this year. Um, you know, or, you know, it's up staggering amounts. And then you also have gold as well. You know, gold is certainly, and we've talked about that on other podcasts, we probably won't get too much into it today, but gold is a, is a very interesting exposure too. So if you look at Shopify IT and gold, you know, that's driving about 8% of the relative difference between the Canadian dividend and the, and the Canadian uh, index. Um, you know, the dividend is performing pretty decently off the March low. It's up 47%, huge number. Uh, the TSX is up 50 so it's doing pretty well, um, but I definitely think, you know, with the exposure to financials and the dividends, you know, as well as consumer stocks, there's, there's, there's definitely a recovery trade that hasn't played out, and I think it presents an opportunity for investors. 
Um, on the international side, I say it's the same thing. You know, you look at the top detractors, you know, it's financials and consumer stocks, really. Financials have really underperformed in this crisis. Um, you know, in, in a very similar way that the dividend, as you say, is underperforming um, the broad index by about by about uh, 9% this year. Um, again, as we actually navigate, you know, a reopening, this is a, um, you know, a potential recovery play for investors. And we rebalanced our dividend strategies in June. You know, we had to remove some companies that cut their dividends, you know, due, due to our methodology, but there's still a lot of really high quality dividend paying stocks there. Um, you know, just in speaking in international, I'd add one more word that probably our preference is towards hedged. You know, that tends to be our strategic preference in in terms of hedging euros and pounds, um, just given the geopolitical risk in Europe. Um, but as well, if you look at a tactical level, you know, euros, pounds and Swiss francs, they're all near all time highs versus CAD. So I think it even strengthens the case. So, you know, if, if, if for, for international dividends, ZDH, you know, or hedged, I think would be the play. You know, just going, taking one quick step back, if I, if I kind of finish up on dividends, you know, I think still quality is, is kind of our number one factor in the region, um, you know, whether it's Europe or U.S. or globally. Um, so I think we still lean into that, but I think these dividends offer, you know, a pretty interesting kind of a value play and, you know, really have the potential to outperform, you know, as we get a true economic recovery. So that's what we're looking for over the next year. Um, you know, maybe it's not an immediate pop back with these dividends. It's going to take a little bit of time, but, you know, the valuation is pretty attractive, and I think they've got the opportunity to uh, to make up for lost ground. Well, thanks for that. I actually think, to your point before, okay, it's a recovery, but you're also getting paid while you wait. So, you know, not a bad consideration. Now, yeah. McKinney, let's jump to you. Is I want to move into the sector conversation now, because we have three different sectors that, in Canada, of course, they're, out, they're providing more than uh, 5% yield. You don't have to go through all of them. I want to get what ones you, you're kind of more leaning towards. Um, and then your thoughts behind those, of course. So ZRE is paying about 5.4% and ZEB 5%. Sorry, REITs ZRE is paying 5.4%. The banks, ZEB, paying uh, 5%. And in the oil and gas sector, ZEO is at 6.1%. So, McKay, what's your thoughts on these sectors? Where would you kind of lean to of those three, and then, you know, why would you why would you lean into those? Sure, and um, so each of those do present you know different opportunities and different uh, different plays in terms of uh, you know what you would expect going forward by investing in each of these. And as you say, obviously, each of them five percent or higher on the distribution yield. Um, extremely attractive in terms of, again, the theme of uh, getting paid while you wait. Um, there is, uh, again, a slower economic recovery, we think, playing out that would affect each of these three. And so the ability to have that distribution come in, those dividends being paid, um, as you see this this recovery playing out, we think makes a lot of sense. Um, in terms of each of the three, we'll start with the real estate, as you mentioned, currently about 5.4 distribution yield. Uh, on ZRE, um, you know, obviously this has exposure to, to various different REITs, whether they be office, uh, residential, commercial, mixed use, uh, a lot of different uh, exposures there. And so, you know, this is really a play on, on that economic recovery and, um, you know, people needing that real estate space and continuing to pay their rents and things like that. Um, 
One thing I'll point out is that the the yield on the ZRE, again, about 5.4%, that spread over the 10-year bond is uh, at an uh, at an all-time high. And obviously, this fund has only been around post uh, 2008. So going back to 2008, um, we're at the highest spread we've seen for real estate for REITs uh, over the 10-year yield. So that uh, that premium that you're getting, uh, that risk premium for investing in real estate over fixed income uh, is as high as it's been in about 12 years. Um, so a bit of a value play there in terms of what you're getting for that for that distribution. Um, the banks, uh, ZEB, 5% distribution yield, you know, I've been talking about the banks for quite some time now. Um, and really, you know, just looking at history, it makes a lot of sense to be investing in the Canadian banks right now for income-oriented investors specifically. You think about investors that need income, um, in particular in taxable accounts. Uh, if you're getting a 5% dividend, you know, for the highest sort of tax bracket, uh, the after-tax return you get on a 5% dividend is about the same as you would get on an 8% coupon bond from a, from a bond for, for income uh, tax-wise. And so, you know, that to me is extremely attractive. You talk about where the safest, probably safest dividends in Canada, um, and I think you're talking about Canadian banks. We go all the way back to the financial crisis. Canadian banks did not cut their, their dividends then. Um, coming into this uh, drawdown, not only did they not you know, cut their dividends here as well, they were specifically asked not to raise their dividends by the financial regulators. So just out of caution, please don't raise your dividends. So, you know, even in this environment, the banks are in position to raise their dividends. They're not doing so, again, just out of caution and keeping their, their capital ratios intact. In, in um, but the banks have cash flow. The banks are leading, uh, you know, companies in Canada. Why is the distribution still so high? Why are those dividends still so high? You know, I think the market is still expecting, again, a slower uh, recovery. And if there are defaults, if there are problems with some sectors of the economy, it's generally thought that the banks would would feel a little bit of that be, uh, through their through their lending books, through their loans. And so there is some expectation that if there is continued trouble in the economy, the banks would be affected by by increased loan losses. Uh, we did see in the previous quarter all banks setting aside a significant amount in terms of loan loss provisions, um, and we think they're extremely well capitalized overall. Um, looking at just, again, the history of Canadian banks, um, when the average dividend has been over 5%, really the only time, uh, and this goes back 20 plus years, the only time the average dividend yield on Canadian banks was over 5% was through that 2008-2009 period. And it was only there for two quarters um, before it came back down to just, just under 5%. We are now two quarters in here as well um, with the, the dividend dis, uh, yields that just they reached 6% kind of on average across the, the major banks. They've come down a little bit to about 5.5%, and, um, and we don't expect them to stay here much longer. So again, well-capitalized, well-run businesses paying a 5% dividend. Um, to me, this is the safest place for income-oriented investors to get this, you know, yields over 5% that we're talking about. To me, the, the Canadian banks is the safest play. And then briefly, I'll just touch on oil as well, oil and gas, ZEO, currently yielding a little over 6%. Um, you know, this one, I think, has the most upside potential in terms of these three sectors. 
as uh, the, rec the economic recovery takes hold, demand for oil will continue to increase. Um, you know, the price of oil has recovered. We're at a five-month high now, um, you know, coming out of that, that brief, you know, negative oil price period. Um, but as you see continued demand uh, for oil slowly come back and it's tied to in, uh, economic growth and industrial production, um, as that slowly comes on and we have seen positive um, forecasts for 2021 for oil prices being fairly stable, um, you, you get upside participation in that. And then as well, you get that 6% distribution that we've been talking about as well. So I think the, the most potential upside comes from, from oil and gas provided this recovery continues through 2021. Um, and again, a, a decent distribution while you're, while you're waiting for that to play out as well. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying the episode, we encourage you to tune in to our deep dive series where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM solutions. Our latest episode features the BMO Quality ETF Suite, a full complement of tools to help you access the best companies from around the world. For more information, please see the episode notes below. I want to dive into the topic of cover calls here too, because we know that all the cover calls, is, as Heeks mentioned that, are, are earning more than 5%. But I think one of the key things we need to talk about beyond the core dividend, which is the key part of the uh, key part of the income, is the additional, the enhancement that comes in to the premium. And one of the bigger aspects of the premium, as we all know, is, is volatility and pricing of that premium. So maybe we should get a little thoughts from you on where do you see volatility going forward? What kind of indication are you getting out there? And, you know, do you think the, the volatility is inflated now? And where do you think it's going to be going forward, right? Because that all thinks into how much enhancement is going to be towards this yield. Sure. And, you know, the primary gauge for this, obviously, is the VIX, uh, the VIX index, which is uh, implied volatility on the S&P 500. Uh, in terms of where we are right now, you know, volatility has slowly trended down from the March highs, you know, peaked just over 80, uh, an all-time high uh, in March, and has been slowly coming down. And that's typically what we see with vol spikes. It spikes up very, very high and then slowly trends back down. Um, we're actually just over 20 on the VIX right now, which is starting to get back to that sort of, let's call it a normalized volatility environment. Um, you know, let's, in, in, in low vol times or in, let's call it normal markets, you'll see the VIX in that sort of mid-teens area with 20 sort of being the upper bound uh, before things start to get uh, a, little bit, a little bit crazy. Um, and so we're just sort of coming back down to that sort of upper bound of 20, right about 21 right now this morning, I think, on the VIX, and that's slowly been trending down. Um, so, you know, starting to get back to those normalized levels. Um, however, if you look at the expectations for volatility going forward the next several months, um, there is an expectation that there will be increased volatility around the November elections, which, you know, is not really a surprise. This could be potentially market-moving events in terms of uh, who gets elected, um, you know, what, what the sort of numbers look like in terms of Democrats versus Republicans in the Senate and things like that. Um, but what is interesting is that, you know, this, this spike in the, the, view, the VIX futures curve has, already, has always been there around November. Um, the absolute level has come down as vol volatility has trended downwards, but that spike, that kink has actually increased. 
So, um, you know, the market is now expecting volatility to spike up. You know, as I said, VIX at 21 right now is going to be close to 30 in November and actually staying relatively elevated for several months through March of next year. And if you look yeah, at previous... Get, uh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, if you look at previous years, um, this is actually a little bit elevated relative to other elections. The, the, the pricing of the one-day movement following the election um, is much higher this year than what it has indicated in previous years and also what the actual move has been in previous years. And so we think it's actually a little bit more elevated than it should be. And that actually bodes well for strategies like covered calls that are selling volatility um, as we think this is actually getting bid up a bit more than it should be. And maybe, Chris, I'll just pass it over to you now for, for a couple of your comments. Thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, I think this is actually a really good indication of what we were talking about right off the top, where S&P is back to its all-time high, but you still have VIX elevated. That tells you a lot right there. There's usually an inverse relationship. You know, as, as equities go up, volatility goes down. Um, so... You know, given that kind of pre-COVID, the VIX was around 10, 12 percent, you know, you might think, you know, naively that, you know, if the S&P gets back to pre-COVID levels, you would also have VIX coming down to pre-COVID levels. But you're, you're really not seeing that. So I think that tells you a lot right there about the volatility that's under the surface, despite, um, despite the market recovery. Because with that, you know, VIX at 21 percent, you know, that's still a substantial premium over the kind of 12% it was in February. You know, we used to, you know, for the past few weeks, we were saying it's a double, you know, VIX, the volatility still double what it was before. It's not quite double right now, so it's a bit under double, but it's still 75% higher than than it was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, to the, to the conversation about getting paid while you wait, you know, that's, that's going to be, you know, um, you know, very favorable for the cover call and running the option overlay. So then, let's dive in a little bit here on uh, cover calls specifically. Um, I want to take a look at uh, ZWG. Uh, it currently pays a 6.8% yield, and this is, of course, on your the five for five, uh, five over five document. That's my highlighting that. So it's 6.8% yield. Let's kind of take a look at the metrics and, and kind of digest the trade-offs. We know the dividends is coming from global space. And we already talked about dividends in that space. So let's take a look at the, you know, the, the relative trade-offs. You've got about 50% covered. And when you look at 50% covered, bear with me, that means that if the market moves up 50%, moves up, that part, the, you only have a portion of it that, that is, has a, a limitation on it, if I, if I read that right. That's right. You know, that's one of the hallmarks of our covered call strategies is we cover, you know, approximately 50% of the portfolio. You know, the real trade-off in covered calls is managing, you know, you can generate a lot of income with covered calls, but you also want to have a growth profile. At least that's what we, you know, that's what we want to provide uh, to our clients is growth as well as income. So, you know, the reason we only cover half the portfolio is if we do have strong rallies, and we certainly had very, very strong rallies, you know, coming out of March, um, you know, the clients really can maintain and, and participate in the vast kind of majority of that upside. So that's kind of that, that's the, the thinking behind the 50%. You know, you look at ZWG as a portfolio. Well, first of all, look at all of our option-based portfolios. You know, as I said, with volatility elevated, they're all over 6% out of the money. Some of them are in double digits out of the money. You know, we're writing our options on a one- or two-month basis. It, 
gives, you know, equities a real nice, um, you know, buffer where they can go up six to 10% and there's no, you know, in a month and there's no negative impact from the options. You know, ZWG itself, uh, we're around six and a half percent out of the money and we're generating, you know, a little over 5% yield. So very attractive yield in global equities, you know, uh, that the product is distributing somewhere around, uh, we have 6.8%. We're actually generating even a little bit more than that in the fund right now. You know, and that's your option one, yield when you say you're generating. That's the option yield, which is enhancement towards the dividend yield, right? Right. So the dividend yield, 3.9. You know, it's a nice bump over kind of MSCI world. This is a global strategy. It's a global high dividend cover call. So 3.9% and then, a, you know, over 5 on the option. So, you know, inside the fund right now, we're actually generating, you know, kind of in an 8 to 9 range. Um, you know, we distribute kind of conservatively, and we want that distribution to be uh, consistent. So it's it's right now at 6.8%. We're going to see how it evolves. Um, but you know, it's a very um, you know, it's, I think it's a, I think it's going to I think it's you know a strategy with a lot of potential that it's going to be really a headline strategy for us. It's a global portfolio, you know, weighted to the U.S. Uh, very large cap has had very good performance through the crisis, uh, both protecting value and as well coming out of it. You know, so anyone looking to to increase their, you know, dividend yield, their distribution, their, you know, their income, you know, getting exposure to global equities, which I think has been, you know, really the strength of the market. You've, you've wanted to have exposure to global equities. This is a very good tool to achieve that. So then that's the same thing. We get the global equities theme, and now let's move into more of a, a, a European tilt, because that's also in the five over five uh, document, ZWE, ZWP. Again, you got a 50% written, so we know about that from your conversation there. Out of money, a little further out of the money. Maybe give us a little more of the understanding the trade off there. Yeah, and I think we're going to move up the risk spectrum with the three that we're identifying. So ZWE is a Europe based strategy, uh, Europe high dividend, and it's hedged to Canadian dollars as well. We talked about it like that, uh, yielding 7.9%. You know, you look at Europe and it, you know, you look if you're looking for opportunities in terms of recoveries, Europe is, is certainly an opportunity. Still, well below um, COVID highs, so I think there's a you know there's a good opportunity. Um, you know, Europe does not have you know the IT stocks and anywhere near like the U.S. does. So you know that effect you see with the Nasdaq pulling up the S&P, uh, but not so much the Dow. You don't really see that in Europe, so that's why you what that's why it's still below kind of those all-time highs. You know, it's a good opportunity. We have a really well-rounded portfolio there. And as we do navigate that recovery, you know, the economic recovery, again, it's a, you know, for investors looking for a little bit of a diversification and, you know, exposure to some growth, uh, that WE is a good choice. And it pairs very well with, you know, the other Europe. We've been recommending the Europe quality, does that EQ. So there's a nice kind of pair that you can have there uh, to play that region. So then why don't you close off your thoughts on uh, U.S. banks, too, the uh, ZWK uh, ETF? Right. So um, this one's yielding 10.3. Uh, might be our only product, Kevin. That's over 10% yield. Uh, you know, we've talked about financials a lot on the, on the podcast. And McKinney touched on the Canadian banks. You know, the U.S. banks, you know, the dividend yield is actually – you know, as attractive as it has been in many, many years. Uh, so the dividend yield on the U.S. banks is around 4% right now. And then just given the concerns that, you know, McKinney was addressing with credit risk, you know, nowhere is that more evident than with the U.S. banks. And we've seen that they've sold off quite a bit more than the broad market. 
Um, but the way I look at it is, you know, if we're going to have a recovery, you know, we're going to have to have at some point, we're going to have to have all sectors participate. This can't, this, the, you know, to have an IT recovery without pulling any other sectors along with it, I don't think is sustainable. And I think there's a good opportunity with U.S. banks. The volatility is uh, quite high. And, you know, what that means is that trade-off is, is pretty attractive. So we're writing options 12% out of the money and actually getting 8.9% yield. So we're actually a little bit above our, our typical yield targets. Um, but again, this is the strategy where our options are the furthest out of the money. So I think it's very attractive right now. We like U.S. banks as kind of a satellite idea. Um, and, you know, 10% yield is, is very attractive. Gives you a you know, nice head start on the year. And we think, you know, we're buying at attractive levels right now. So we think this is, um, you know, a, a very interesting strategy and, you know, getting paid while you wait, you know, 10% certainly, I think, fits that description. So I think it's a good exposure here for a satellite position. Thanks, uh, Chris. And I actually, you know, when you look at uh, those choices too, I mean, it's good to hear the uh, the indicated yield and the, the, the option yield you're getting behind the scenes and these other, the, the elevated volatility that, you know, Chris uh, also spoke about before this. In that context, in that what you're seeing is that maybe some stability in that yield on a go forward basis too. Um, you know what I want to do is I want to hold tight on this conversation, and then I want to open the phone for uh, some questions. Just give them the time and uh, give a chance to get a couple questions in from the audience out there across the board. Hi, Christian. Chris, uh, this is Christian here. Thanks a lot for the update. Uh, some great uh, trade ideas. Uh, just wanted to ask. Regarding, uh, just walk, if you could walk us through the cover call methodology. First off, how you uh, select the dividend universe, and then I know you guys write on fifty percent. Um, but if there's any additional input you could share there regarding uh, how you write the calls, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Christian. Um, so you, you know, each each cover call strategy has its own underlying equity strategy. You know, the first one we launched was the Canadian banks. So six Canadian banks equally weighted. Pretty simple strategy there, but, you know, a pretty compelling strategy, I'd say, as well, given the dividend yield of the banks. You know, we've got, we've got we, we've since added to that, you know, we have utilities, we have the Dow Index, we've got high dividend strategies in all regions and globally now with that WG. Uh, so that, you know, each has its own kind of underlying equity strategy, whether it's, you know, a broadly diversified dividend or a sector like Canadian banks. But I think, you know, in terms of running the cover call overlay, the really the, the secret sauce there is, you know, and it's so simple, is that the 50% and writing out of the money options, you know, being not greedy for yield is the key in this space if you want to participate in up markets. And we do want to participate strongly in up markets. So, you know, as we discussed, that's the reason we just write on 50% of the portfolio. And it's also the reason in elevated volatility markets, you know, such as we're in right now, when we're selling options, we'll push those strikes further and further out of the money. So, you know, whereas pre-COVID, you, you probably would have seen our, our moneyness on our options kind of in three, four, five percent range. Now they're in that six, eight, ten, twelve percent range, uh, depending on the strategy. So, um, again, what that does for clients is just gives um, you know gives you that same level of income. We're targeting three to five percent in general. It gives you more upside participation. There's more room for those stocks to rally um, on a month-to-month basis before there's any negative impact. And that, you know, it tends to work out really well. Um, 
you know, we've seen other strategies um, in the space where there's a little more greed for the yield. And, you know, you know, Gordon Gecko says greed is good, but greed in this case is, is not always good. You know, if, if you want to have upside in the stocks, you have to, you know, I think manage it with, you know, a little bit more discretion. And that's what we try and do. I think it, you know, works out pretty well. So, you know, that at a high level, I think that's kind of the color how we run the, run the mandate. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the question, too. Hi, uh, this is Esther. I have a question um, with respect to uh, ZPay and uh, covered call. When would you use uh, these strategies? Thank you. Sure. And so, so ZPay is our, our premium yield ETF um, that also uses an option overlay to generate, uh, you know, high level of income. ZPay uses both sells both puts and calls to generate premium and also to aid in moving in and out of equity positions. Um, it tends to be uh, tends to have a lower level uh, of investment in equities. So, you know, for example, right now, about one third of ZPay uh, is invested directly in equities, whereas our covered calls tend to be, you know, much closer to fully invested. And so, I think it depends what what part of the portfolio you're trying to solve for. Um, ZPay would would have a, a lower overall volatility but also l- lower overall growth in up markets. Um, so think of it as that quasi, you know, in between fixed income and equity, um, that sort of hybrid uh, solution where you're getting a little bit of yield, uh, a little bit of growth um, relative to our covered calls that are fully invested and should capture most of the growth of the upside market uh, while also adding on, uh, you know, that, that sweetener from the option premium but also having higher overall volatility because if there is a, a, a drawdown in the market, the covered calls should come down more because they are fully invested. So that gives you an idea of the risk return profiles of each of those. So that pay kind of being quite different than, than the other covered calls. So depending on what sleeve of the portfolio you're trying to fill, um, you would lean to one versus the other. Perfect. Thanks for that, Chris. And thanks for the question too. With that, I'm going to say thanks to both Chris and Chris for sharing your expertise today. And I want to thank everybody for joining us today to get some further insights on the overall market and some themes on uh, income across the board. If you have any questions around ETFs or even, you know, Mark, or get some, we want some further insights, I encourage you to reach out to your local uh, ETF specialist and uh, we'd be happy to uh, have, have a conversation with you and, and further follow up on your questions. Thanks so much for your time today. Look forward to engaging with you next week at the exact same time, 9 o'clock on Wednesday. Cheers. Thank you to Kevin Prince, Chris Heeks, and Chris McCainy for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard a number of sound income ideas to help investors wait out market volatility without moving to cash. Ranging from dividend to covered call strategies, there are suitable solutions for every client in your book. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, please see the episode notes below. Contact your regional BMO ETF specialist or simply visit BMOETFs.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe. And if you have any questions you would like addressed in future episodes, please send them to Andrew Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at BMO.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. 
The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.